My name is Joel Fair, and, and I have the privilege of uh, being called to plant here in Cape Canaveral. And we have the joy to gather each week as a community of believers who need the gospel, who need to be pointed to Jesus. And so we get to do that together, pointing each other's hearts to Jesus. And so this morning, we're in Mark chapter 4. Um, and we've been in Mark since the beginning of the year. We're really excited to to look together at Jesus, and, and maybe you're familiar with Mark, and maybe you're not, but uh, Mark is pretty fast-paced. He comes in, and he's got all these little episodes. It's, it's very similar to uh, a Netflix or an Amazon Prime where you see all of these episodes, and they're bang, 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 and he uses the word immediately a lot. He moves right from one thing to the next, and now, in those first three chapters, he really established the authority of Jesus. He showed that Jesus had the power to heal and to save, to cast out demons, to restore those who had been lame for a long time and to make them whole. And then he had the authority to call people and say, come, follow me. And they stopped the things that they were doing and they followed Jesus. And so Mark spent those chapters establishing that Jesus is the king. He's the king, and he's coming, and he's ushering in the kingdom of God. And for the people that heard this letter from Mark, that was good news, because they were, uh, many of them were oppressed, right? Many of them are Jews living in Roman, uh, under the Roman government, and not feeling like they are liberated and free. And so the hope was that they would have this good news of a king who has come, and he's established a different kingdom. This morning we look at what does that kingdom look like? And it looks like a kingdom of light. And so I tip my hand with uh, our confession this morning, but the reality is that all of this is pointing to this good God, this Jesus, the King who's come, and in His kingdom, He shines light into the darkness. And if you are a Jew in Rome at the time, or, or uh, the church in Rome, you're feeling like you're surrounded by darkness. People are being taken away. People are being persecuted. People are being jailed. People are being killed. And it feels dark. And so they need the hope of the light of Jesus Christ that He would come. He would shine light into the darkness. And the darkness couldn't hide from it. And so that's what we see. And Jesus is coming out of the parable of the sower. Last week we talked about the parable of the sower and how the sower spread the seed liberally. And on some of the ground, it did not take, but on the good ground, it took and it produced this beautiful fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold, which is what Mark 4, 20 says right before we jump into our passage this morning. Today, we're going to see once again the gospel of Mark, what it means that King Jesus has come and established his kingdom and his people. And what we need to draw is we need to draw the parallel that when he talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about us. When he's talking about a people for himself, he's talking about the, the church then, he's talking about the church now. All of us together are the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus isn't establishing a kingdom that's in a particular region or even a particular time era. He's establishing a kingdom that is his people. And so when we think about what does it mean to be the kingdom of God, what does it mean when he says to you has been given the secret of the kingdom? He's talking about us today. 
So when he shines the light into the darkness, he's talking about us today. He's shining his light into our lives. This morning, Jesus presents the kingdom as light that comes in and it exposes the darkness. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you, even in the passage, tell us that if we have ears, let them hear. Let those who have ears hear. So, God, we ask this morning with, with people around the world and throughout all of time and history, God, that we would hear today. That we would leave not the same way that we come in, but we would be transformed and conformed. That we would look like Jesus. God, that today you would do that work by the power of your word, through the work of your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, for shining light. We praise you this morning. We pray for your word that's going throughout Brevard County, Lord, as we think about the other Cross Point Coast congregations. Lord, be with Matt as he preaches in Palm Bay today. Be with Jeremiah in Pineda. God, we thank you that your word is being preached throughout these other ministry partners that we know of, and yet even more, your word is being preached through your church all over the world. Would you save today? God, begin with us. Change us. We pray these things with confidence, knowing that it's your will. In your name we pray. Amen. So we need to spend a little bit of time just connecting. How does this... feels like this is kind of interjected. Jesus goes from talking about a sower to immediately jumping into this parable about a lamp. But the reality is that he's talking... Not about either one of those things. These are parables, and all of these parables that Jesus would use would teach about what does the kingdom look like? What does it mean that the kingdom of God has come? That, that the long-awaited Messiah is here, right? Which was what we've seen. And so, this letter to the Jewish church in Rome is beautiful because they have the whole history of the Bible and they've longed and they know that there's a Messiah coming and they're waiting for Him and they're hoping for Him in the midst of darkness. And then they get this letter saying that Jesus is that King. Jesus is that Anointed One who has come. And He's bringing the light with Him. So this is the first of three parables where Jesus is expounding on the parable of the sower. It's right after He talks about what is the good soil. What does it do? It produces 30, 60-fold, 100-fold fruit. Verse 20, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. What does that look like? All of these three parables teach us something about the kingdom of God. Many scholars believe that this parable is something that Jesus would teach. He, he probably taught pretty often. He would... We, we know, we've seen the disciples, they didn't often get it the first time, which is good news for us today because we don't often get it the first time. But God is patient and kind, and he will give us the same teachings over and over. And so many scholars believe that this teaching was given to the disciples more than once. And so Mark is actually using that and taking that and putting it into right where he puts it, right behind the parable of the sower. What does it look like when God enters in, when when he throws the seed and it lands on good soil and it produces fruit. They're gathered up by Mark and they're put here for a reason. It's interesting that in Matthew, 
the same story is given, but it's given right after the Beatitudes. And so Jesus has come, and he's talking about this upside-down kingdom, this kingdom that is very different from what the, what the people were expecting and what, even what they were hoping for. It's a, it's a kingdom of, of the humble and the meek. It's a kingdom of those who, who are th- hungering and thirsting after righteousness rather than vengeance or rather than comfort or rather than all the other things that we hunger and thirst after. Jesus is teaching that this, is, this kingdom is way different. And then he uses this parable and he talks about the light coming in. And he said to them, as a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand. So, I'm not very good with illustrations, so I love preaching parables because I don't need an illustration. It's already right there. The parable is the illustration. Imagine you're in uh, 100 A.D. You, don't, you can't just flick on a switch and all of a sudden the light comes on. You have these clay pots, and in these clay pots is oil, and then there's a wick that comes out, and you would light that. And, they, and depending on how far you pull the wick out, that determines how big the flame is. And then the, how big the flame is determines how much light is spread. And where you put that light is really what would mean the most about how far the light spreads. If you put the light under a basket, it's not going to spread very far. We do the same thing these days. We put a lamp shade on top of a lamp to dim it so that it doesn't go as far. So it's not as bright. It doesn't hurt our eyes when we look at it. Well, they would raise the lamp and they wouldn't put it under a basket and they wouldn't put it under the bed. They would actually put it on a lampstand so that it would illuminate the whole room and the whole room would have light. And so Jesus is using something that all of these people would know. You don't put a lampstand under a basket. You don't put it under the bed. You put it on a lamp. You put it on a lampstand so that it would give light. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Jesus is saying that the lamp exposes what is hidden. The lamp exposes the darkness. It's interesting that um, it's, this translation reads, is a lamp brought? Because in the original Greek, it's way more likely that it's the lamp. And so when you think about the lamp and Jesus is teaching it, there's only one thing that he could be referring to, and that's himself. But God giving light is not a, a new concept, We can look at all of Scripture and we see this imagery of God as light. God as light that exposes the darkness. God as light that helps us find the way. God as light that brings safety. In the Old Testament, in the very beginning, Genesis 1, 3-4, God spoke light into the darkness. Out of the chaos that was the darkness, he created order. And he created it, and it was very good. We see it in God leading his people and actually calling Moses to lead the people. This burning bush, the light, the shining of God on Moses' face when he goes up to Mount Sinai. And then Moses comes down, and he's reflecting that same light to the people. And it's extraordinary. And then God led the people with a pillar of fire at night so that they would know and be able to go and follow the light. 
We also see God and his law and his word as light in the Psalms. Psalm 18.28 says this. For, and I'll have these in the, in the notes later so you don't have to write them down because I'm going to just kind of move through them pretty quick. Psalm 18.28, For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. Psalm 36.9, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Psalm 118.27, The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Psalm 119.105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, God had always come to bring his light that would lead us, that would guide us, that would lead us into righteousness. His word, his law was there to point how could we have right relationship with God? How could we walk with him? How could we walk in the light? And so the psalmist knew this and they cling to it. But not only did the psalmist know it, but the New Testament authors knew that God brought light. John, if you read any of John's writings, he talks about Jesus as the light most often. John 8, 12 says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 1 John 1.5 that we read for our confession. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. You see, this is a, a continued theme throughout all the scripture that, the, that God is light. Why would we want light? Why do we care? Why would we hope that he would illuminate our path, that, he would, that his lamp would light our way? Because we're lost. Because we can't do it ourselves. We have none of these things that God has, that God can meet every need that we have. And we can't meet those needs. And so we need a Savior. We need God to come and to point the way to truth, point the way to righteousness, point the way, point the way to right relationship with one another. Because if we're left to our own devices, we're going to do what we want at the expense of others, rather than for the good of others. And so God has always pointed to what is righteousness? What is the way to walk in His path? And He's used light to do it. My favorite New Testament passage about the light is 2 Corinthians 4, 4-6. through 6, And we were preaching through 2 Corinthians not too long ago. It says this, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we think about Jesus, we think about God throughout all of Scripture. And then in Colossians, Paul says he is the fullness of God. Jesus Christ is the fullness. Like when you see Jesus, you see everything that God is. And then in Corinthians, Paul says he is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine these people that are sitting around the, the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is put out in the boat, and he's teaching them with these parables. 
And he's talking about the lamp that would be put on a lamp stand. And they're seeing him. And he is shining the light of the glory of God through his face. And they're being changed forever by this encounter with Jesus. And we come and we just, we treat it so casually. Like we have the face of Jesus in his scripture right before us. And we just, we neglect it. We don't read it. We don't care. We don't take, the advantage, take advantage of the opportunity we have to pray and to ask and say, God, I want to know you. And then he meets us in that place. That's amazing. And these people that are hearing the parable of the lamp that's providing the light are seeing in Jesus the face of God. But we don't want light. We want darkness. We talked about it in our confession. We know that we're sinners. We, like it, if, if we have any inkling of truth, we know that we are a mess. And so we run and we hide. You don't have to go far into the book to see a great example of that. Adam and Eve, they sin. And what's the first thing they do? They go and hide. They don't want to be in the light. They want to be in darkness. And so we carry that same sin throughout humanity. And we want to run and hide from the one who's shining his light into our lives to expose that darkness. And we'd rather have darkness. We'd rather have what we want. But darkness helps us find things. Darkness brings safety. I mean, light helps us find things. Light brings safety. Why would we cover up the light? And Jesus is saying, I've come. I'm shining light into the darkness. So you are fully exposed. If to no one else to God, you are fully exposed. There's a multiplying effect of the light of the gospel. As we think about this, verses 23 through 25 in our text, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Before we jump to the next part, listen, Jesus calls us to hear. There's a couple times where he even says, pay attention. And so when he does those things, we, as the kingdom of God, and as hearers and believers, should pay attention to what he's about to say. You see, there's a multiplying effect of the light of the gospel. We talked about this 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So what does it say? It says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I like Luke's, uh, Luke just changes one word in his gospel. It says, even what he has, it says even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Because really, if we, if we don't have Jesus, we don't have anything. But if we have Jesus, we have everything. But we can be in, under this delusion because we are in the darkness thinking that we have something, and the reality is that we have nothing. But for the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Let's think about this. If we are in darkness, if we have sin, and we run from the light, we run from the light. It's compounds and everything begins, we, we begin to walk in more sin. 
Right? We've all experienced this where we've, we've struggled with something. Instead of running to Jesus and saying, hey, this is who I am, God, I confess, we've tried to hide. And in that hiding, we actually walk in more sin. We, we see more things that are broken in our lives. And so we, we continue to hide, and it begins to compound. But the same thing is true that if we run to Christ, there's a, there's a multiplying effect of running to Christ. You see, as I run to Christ, not only maybe, maybe what began for me in my confession was behavior, right? I've, I yelled at my children. And so I have to come to God, and I have to confess, God, I, I yelled at my children. Well, as I grow, get closer to this light that's shining, I begin to see that, no, the, the real issue wasn't even the action that I took. It was my heart, right? The real sin was that I was angry towards my children, that I was frustrated with the, the circumstances of life, and I was not trusting in the one who is in control of all of those things. So now it's not just uh, the, act, the action, and it's not just the thoughts behind the action, it's the lack of belief. The thing that I'm believing in, the thing that I'm trusting in, is that I can control this situation. And when it feels like it's out of my control, then I react in anger, frustration, hatred toward my kids, toward my God. But I'm, as I'm moving towards the light and confessing those things, God is faithful and just to forgive me from all of my unrighteousness. And by forgiving me, He's even exposing that unrighteousness as I move closer to the light. And it's this compounding effect of producing 30, 60, 100-fold fruit. Like I can confess so many more things. And not only confess them, because when I come to the One who exposes them, I also come to the One who's done something about it. If, only, if I only came and, and all I got was this exposure of who I am and the sinner that I am, then of course I wouldn't run. But if I run to Jesus and He says, Joel, you, your sin is so deep. You don't believe who I am. And that's why it plays out in your frustration with your, your circumstances or your children or your wife or your job or whatever it is. That's a, that's a tough place, but if I run to him and he says, and I have forgiven you. And even in that unbelief, you are cleansed. The blood of Jesus covers over it. You see, that's the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is coming and he's preaching this kingdom of light that exposes the darkness. And we all have darkness, but we bring to him our darkness and, and our sin. And he takes it upon himself. And he's elevated, like a lamp gets elevated. He's elevated on a cross. And he's exposed on a cross like we are exposed. And he bears it on himself. And he goes to the cross and he pays the debt that we owed for our darkness. And in that moment, he suffers the wrath of God in our place. The wrath of God is poured out on him and he, he experiences being separated from God in our place so that we can be restored and reconciled to God. Jesus was separated from God. But the good news is that it didn't end there. He resurrected to prove that he is God. That all of the things that he said are true. That all the things that he said would happen in his death they are true for us today. We are restored to God. 
when we trust in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So not only is this Jesus the one, the lamp that exposes the darkness, but he's also the one that we run to and we can confess these things and he is the one who has saved us out of that darkness. This morning, as we read about the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, or even thinks that what he has, it will be taken away. I think of, of, of John, again, John talking about light. Like, what does that mean? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. That's us. If we just come and our, and, and our works are exposed, we don't want to do that. We want to flee that, but when we come and our works are exposed and we ex- they're exposed to the Savior who has done something about them, then we confess and we rejoice in that. And we say, God, it's only by grace and grace alone that I am who I am, that you have saved me, that I get to sing, that I get to praise, that I get to worship. And then now I, I can actually go to my neighbor who's struggling with those same things or something similar and say, no, I can confess freely that I am you. But I have a Savior, I have a Jesus who has saved me out of my darkness, out of my sin. And he, he longs to do the same for you. And that's a compelling witness. That's a compelling truth that we get to share with those that we are in relationship with. You see, there's no neutral position before God. You're either running to Him or you're running from Him. No one just stands there in the middle and says, I'm good. And if you do... He's got some warnings about being lukewarm. But he calls us to run to him. How do we want to be measured? Do we want to be measured by our own righteousness? Or do we want to be measured by the righteousness of Christ? And so as I run to him, I confess freely, God, I am a sinner, but you are righteous. And it says in your word that your righteousness is now on my record. And so I'm going to trust and believe in that and stand in that. This morning, Psalm 90 verse 8 says, You have set, your iniquity, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. You see, this morning we've been exposed to the light through the grace of the gospel. Like it's grace that we've been exposed I pray that we would really believe that today. Even as we still struggle with sin, even as we still wrestle, can we believe that it's grace that we have been exposed today? Because that grace then brings us to the place of trusting in a God, not because I I did anything, but because He's done everything. And so I rejoice there. We're laid bare before the light of truth, and all of our sin is known by the God of the universe. But here's the good news. Not only does this king expose sin, but he saves us from it. And we've talked about that. Colossians 1, 9-14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, 
so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of saints in light. Listen, we have an inheritance. We get to walk in the light. We get to be reflections of that light to a world that is dark and dying. We get to bring this good news to them that they don't have to fix themselves. They have a Savior who has come and has paid the ultimate price for them. And so now the call this morning is A, to believe that for ourselves, and then B, to go out and proclaim that to others. To walk in this light, to walk in this inheritance that we have. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is the truth for the believer today. That's good news. We get to celebrate that. We get to sing that. We get to rejoice in that. We get to remind each other of that when we forget. No, you are blood-bought saint. Remember, this kingdom is comprised of people, not a person. When he talks about kingdom... It's not much of a kingdom if it's one person, but together we have this gift of being the church, of being the kingdom of God, of pointing each other to Jesus and reminding consistently, no, God has paid for you. Like right now you're struggling and you're wanting to add something to that, but it's all been paid in Jesus. Or you're running from this light, but you don't have to run because your identity is son and daughter of the king. And so we get to do that together. The call this morning is for us to press into that. In Matthew's account, Jesus, is, Jesus finishes with this call. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God, your Father who is in heaven. See, this is the mission we're on. This is the call that God has made on our lives. To be exposed to Jesus, the lamp. To run to Him so that we'd be exposed more so that he would continue to conform and transform us to his will. So then we will be these lights that others would see our good works and give glory to God, our Father. And so we would shine forth the radiance of the sun as image bearers. So the call this morning is to be light. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you, Lord, for both the challenge of your word this morning. God, that you would even expose our tendency to run, to hide. God, and yet, by grace, you've said, run to me. Come to me. So, Lord, we pray that we would run to you. Individually and corporately as a people. That we would continue as sinners gathered at the foot of the cross to point to the Savior who has paid it all on our behalf. God, would you change us this morning? May we leave here different from the way that we came. May our sin be more exposed. May our love for a great God who has covered over a multitude of sins be deeper higher, wider, longer. Stir in us a love for you and your word. God, and for a people that need to hear that light has come into the darkness. We trust you for these things. Amen.